Beyond the Ranch with Jay Gannon from Find the Ranch. Welcome to Beyond the Wrench. I am your host, Jay Gannon. Before we get started, I'm excited to announce that we've just released an app for our Wrenchway Insiders, appropriately called Wrenchway Insiders. You can download the app through the App Store and the Google Play Store, and the app is pretty simple in itself. You complete challenges that are focused on the service business, play games, and you can win some pretty cool prizes as a result. To start, the Wrenchway Insiders app is only available by invitation, and you can send a request uh, to get that invitation by sending an email to info at wrenchway.com. As far as today's podcast, I'm really, really excited to welcome Josh Tebbin to the show. Josh is an automotive technician at Ryan Dodge in Monticello, Minnesota. And if Josh's name sounds familiar, he just took part in our tech mission event and uh, did a really, really good job as a part of the Technician Roundtable. So how you doing, Josh? I'm not doing bad, Jay. That's good. Uh, what, uh, first and foremost, what did you think of Tech Mission? Uh, I thought it was good. Um, still kind of, I was waiting to see the recordings because I wasn't able to get on live and actually watch everything. Yeah, yeah. That was the toughest part for, for technicians. And for those of you that didn't sit in on it, we, uh, we pre-recorded the Technician's Roundtables just so we wouldn't, take away from their days, uh, a little tougher to get techs away. But I thought it went really well. You did a really, really good job in uh, in giving feedback. And I thought that as a whole, that group, that technician group did a really good job. It, I mean, it, you felt comfortable with, with uh, everything there? Oh, yeah. I, I felt great with it. I mean, it was a nice balance of a couple of the younger guys in there um, with a little less experience all the way to, I mean, what we had that tw- uh, 25 year yeah so i mean it, it was a nice balance on the round table i thought yeah i did too and i i liked the the kind of the the width or the how how different the experience was uh, we had some independent experience we had some dealership experience and kind of everything in between and i think the majority of the panel had actually worked at both independents and dealerships including you right Yep. I, I definitely have done both. So, I mean, I've seen both sides of the spectrum on that. Yeah, that's cool. So let's start by uh, learning a little bit more about you, Josh. Uh, we're, uh, you're, you're from Minnesota. Uh, what got you into kind of uh, becoming a technician? So I grew up around heavy equipment. Uh, that's what my family did is they did excavating. So, I mean, I've just kind of been around it my whole life. Um, I mean, I really didn't start automotive until I got out of the military. I was a heavy equipment mechanic in the military. So, mm. I mean, I've, I've done it since I was about 15 years old. So, I mean, it's just something I've naturally done. Uh, what, what, uh, what branch of the military were you in? I was in the Marine Corps. In the Marine Corps. All right. And how, tell me a little bit about that. I've talked to former, like other guests that we've had, about the tra- translating from military life to civilian life. How, how was that transition? Um, it was actually kind of rough for me. Um, yeah. So, I mean, in the military, I was technically a heavy equipment mechanic, but I was actually, my main job was a small engine mechanic. So I was a boat mechanic while I was in the Marine Corps. Wow. 
So, I mean, I've, I've run the gamut on a lot of your spectrum. Yeah. No kidding. My goodness. You've worked on a little bit of everything. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it's been a long time since I've touched any equipment and stuff like that. I mean, I still kind of work on boats every now and then, but I don't really care to (laughs) anymore. (laughs) I don't blame you. So where, uh, where were you stationed at? Uh, I was in Japan for two years and then I was in, uh, North Carolina for my last year in. Wow. How, how was it in Japan? It's basically kind of like Florida weather, but, uh, you get a little bit more humidity and the tsunamis kick up a little bit more than what hurricanes do. Wow. So, so going from Minnesota to Japan, a a little bit of a difference, little, little bit of a difference. So, I mean, I, (laughs) I mean, my, my whole first year I was in, I was, doing basic training and then I was at school in Missouri and then I went to North Carolina for some more training and then I went from North Carolina to Japan and then I went back to North Carolina. So what was your what was your first job in the automotive world then? So my first job was actually at a small mom and pop independent shop. Worked there for a year, took another job, went and did some labor jobs, came back to it. Uh, went back to school, um, actually got my automotive service technician degree. Good. And then just kind of took off from there. I was a lube tech at a dealership too while I was in school. And then I got hired at an independent shop. I worked on everything from snowmobiles all the way to six figure classic cars. Wow. So, I mean, <laughs> I've, I've seen the spectrum on a lot of stuff. Yeah, I would say that. I mean, how how does that mechanical like kind of knowledge transfer between going, you know, you've got small engine, heavy equipment, marine, and now automotive. How, how uh, I mean, is there a lot of similarities, a lot of differences? How, how does that work together? I mean, the similarities, I mean, it, they're all mechanical. I mean, the, the mechanics portion of it is about the same. I mean, the only difference really is how they all get their fuel. Ah. I mean, that's kind of the, the biggest thing. I mean, small engines run carburetors and now they're starting to get fuel injected. And then you got automotive that's on the old classic cars. They still have carbureted. So, I mean, it, it, it's kind of the same, but I mean, there's just a few little differences in between them, but not a whole lot. Did you uh, get into points at all? Uh, no, no. Uh, we, <laughs> that's that's kind that, of a lost that, art form now. It, it it is, and actually, we um, the one thing that we did on a lot of the classic cars that we were working on, it was actually converting them over from points, really? and we would actually go uh, electronic ignition on them. That's smart. Uh, much more reliable and and uh, it just uh, easier to run. Oh, definitely. Uh, don't have to get in there and adjust them and do all that and rebuilding them. It's a lot, a lot simpler. Definitely did it on a lot of the inboard boats I was working on. Yeah. What, uh, what's the coolest car you got to work on? Probably the, uh, I can't think of the year of it. It was a galaxy 500. It was Mm. a hard top convertible. It would actually open the whole trunk up and you, it would drop that whole hard top into the trunk. I've seen those. Those are awesome. It was, it, that was a very interesting car. 
Um, I mean, I've even worked on a couple MGs. I'm not a fan of those. No, that the kind of <laughs> English, uh, that, that uh, kind of a, just a different style altogether. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I mean, I've seen a 440 CUDA that was fully restored back to OE. Wow. And that thing was beautiful. It was immaculate. So is there like a car builder up there that there was all of these classic cars around? Or was it just more of uh, just the, the random collector? It was actually a personal collection. Wow. They were bringing them in one at a time. After we'd get one done, they'd bring another one in. And they have a very extensive collection. Wow. And just uh, just a random guy, like a business guy or something? Actually, it was a it was a pair of brothers. So you're telling me my my brother's got to step up a little bit here. I I, <laughs> I, I, I need <laughs> I I need some of these classic cards. Yeah, um, I mean they they have a personal bidder out at Barrett Jackson. Wow. So that's where most of these cars were coming from. No kidding. So and there was stuff wrong with them, and we'd actually fix them to the point where they were correct. That is cool. I mean, it was it, it was a very good learning experience and I mean, working on the classic cars is a lost a lost art. Yeah. It's hard to do. I mean, with everything they they've got out there now for changing a carbureted engine over to fuel injected now and it still looks like a carburetor with a yep. Holly system. I mean, it's the possibilities are endless with these vehicles now. They're cool. I uh, yeah, the kits that are available, uh, it, it can even make an idiot like me be able to uh, to do some of that stuff. So that's uh, that, that, that's exciting. Um, okay, so let's get to the the topic at hand and something that you had originally reached out to me to talk about uh, a few months back and. I, I really enjoyed our initial conversation and then the conversations that have come since. And one of the things that you talked about or you you, you called me on was uh, warranty labor rates. And I think we had done, whether it was a poll or did some writing on, on warranty labor rates and uh, something that piqued your interest in in talking to me, right? And so when we started talking, you were talking about, you know, how unrealistic some of the the uh, the labor uh, the warranty labor uh, repayments were and and so it wasn't even like it wasn't like you were complaining it was more just a a good conversation on you know this is what's happening out here right and that's that's really what I wanted you remember kind of our initial conversation yeah actually I do I mean well we sat on the phone for about an hour and a half I yeah think. <laughs> we and, did. I mean, it, and I mean and I had actually that vehicle I was working on at the time, um, had it been a normal warranty job under the manufacturer's warranty, I'd only gotten paid seven hours. And how, how long did it take? Well, actually, I mean, it paid customer time. So it was a 16 hour job and it was an engine swap. What was, what was the engine swap on? It was on a, uh, 2015 Dodge 1500. It was a five, seven, five, seven. And when we talked about it, you're like, there's just no way in seven hours that you could ever do that job. Right. Well, yeah. And then, I mean, I, 
there was some other stuff that was with it, but I mean, yeah, it, I mean, it can be done, but you literally have to not take breaks and just hammer through it. I mean, you shouldn't have to slam something out that fast. Well, I think, uh, and this is where I think there's a lot of good discussion. Uh, and, and I think we're creating some good discussion, even based off of the tech mission, but even prior to that, uh, really getting either manufacturers or dealerships talking more with technicians and really even the manufacturers talking to the dealerships about how they come up with these warranty rates, right? Because that that was one of the things that I was, I, I was on the other side of this for a while uh, when I worked for Bobcat Company, the manufacturer. And I, I would go and see what they did for their time studies and how they would come up with a uh, you know, with a time for a specific warranty repair. And a lot of the times, you know, the shops were basing how they build out, they, they you know, on the heavy equipment side, flat rate's really not a thing. It's, it's getting yeah. a little bit more incentivized now. But on the automotive side, I'm, I'm assuming their time studies are a kind of similar. And we've done a, we did a podcast with Squire Pettis, uh, who is a, uh, rep for Alfa Romeo, and he gave us some really, really good insight on that side too. But really, they're they're using kind of a collective, a collection of different things, right? So it could be average uh, hours on re- repair orders. It could be, um, you know, they, their own time studies that they did internally. Which, I, you know, what I've I've been on the other side of that too, as far as the tech goes, and. For for a tech, I think sometimes it's like, where did you come up with this number? There's just no way that you would get this done. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and and that's kind of where I sit on some of these. It's like, where are they sitting with a brand new vehicle doing this? Right. I mean, has the vehicle been on the road for a couple of years? Has some rust and stuff like that in minnesota and wisconsin right we 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 battle rust big time oh yeah exactly and i mean i i I know there's some labor ops that you can get for rust and corrosion and stuff like that but you have to have exact punches on that stuff and it's it's kind of hard when you're sitting trying to do it and then you got to remember to punch off for the corrosion repair Uh. and then get back on to finish the rest of the job. So if if you like break a manifold bolt, like an exhaust manifold bolt or something, and it's stuck in the head, what? How does that work, right? Like how how and and maybe that's not a great example, but you know that that random bolt that you go to turn the head and it just pops off flush with. The- <laughs> oh yeah, yeah no. Oh actually, I mean we're we do manifolds all the time because I mean the Hemi's are popping exhaust manifold bolts just like the Chevy the five three in the Chevys. So, I mean, usually it's about, if I remember right for warranty, it's three tenths a bolt when they break. So they give you time on the broken bolt then? Yes. They, I mean, they give you a little bit, but if it's customer pay, it's a half an hour a bolt. Half an hour a bolt. And that's, uh, so if that thing breaks flush, yep. you're, uh, you're, you got a half hour to fix it. Yep on each bolt so i mean i've had some of them they come out nice other ones i it took me an hour on a couple of them right so i mean it's it all depends on how old i mean honestly how old it is how long it's been like that yeah 
I mean, do you run into that during like with warranty work? I we have a couple, but I mean, they're right at the tail end of their warranty. Right, right. So I mean, they're getting kind of fewer. So I mean, it's not that big of a deal, and most people don't think of it, and they don't want to fix it. <laughs> right, right. So I mean, it's not causing any issues. Uh, it, it, it's all right. <laughs> so tell me a little bit about like, what would you consider yourself as far as a, a, a level of technician, right? Like, in, and I'll use kind of the generic ABC level tech. Uh, where, where do you fall in there? I low end a, okay. I mean, I'm always wanting to learn and I by far don't know everything. Um, I'm the jack of all trades, master and none in sure. my shop. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I bounce from anything and everything. Uh, most of the time I do a lot of our lift kits that we're putting in at oh, the sure. dealership. So, I mean, I do a lot of our aftermarket stuff. So, I mean, and then I do, well, I mean, that job I was swapping the engine on. So, I mean, I, I've run the full gamut on stuff. I mean, I yeah. can do full engine rebuilds. I mean, it's not, it's very few that you do those anymore. Right. But, right. Yeah. It's not like it used to be. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> drop a new piston in and color good. Right. So is it a, a lot of R and R type stuff? A, a lot of it is R and R now. Um, I mean, it's just remove and replace. Yep. Um, and I mean, or remove and inspect is a lot is a lot of it now so that's that's kind of the thing that we've been running into because the warranty companies and stuff want to send out inspectors to check everything out sure and make sure we're diagging it right so how walk me through that part because that that's one part that i see maybe the most miscommunication through which is how to handle diagnostics during warranty uh, and, and really how do you create something where you're not just throwing parts at a warranty job? And, and I think the manufacturers have done this to themselves a little bit, uh, in terms of, you know, if it, they, if they're not going to pay you for a decent amount of, or a fair rate on diagnostic time, it doesn't make sense to spend a ton of time diagnosing and you end up throwing parts at it. Am I wrong? Uh, no, you're not. I mean, and that's, uh, and that's honestly the big man. That's the manufacturers right. on a lot of it. Um, because most of the, I mean, unless we get the engineers involved, I mean, I actually had a, uh, a renegade that I had a big wiring issue with. Hmm. Um, luckily enough, I got paid all my diag time on it. I had 18 hours into it. And that's, I mean, the, the, the level of detail that I'm guessing you went into on your description too, was as far as what you did to diagnose. Oh yeah. It, I good. mean, just, just my write up alone took me about 45 minutes. I believe write it. that up. That's one part that, like, that's such an, uh, such an important piece that I feel like techs, like I, and I remember dealing with a lot of techs and they would complain about not getting paid diag time on something and when I'd go look at the work order, there was just, there was no write-up. Like it was very, very vague. And they did themselves a big disservice by not going into detail. Is that something you had to learn along the way to get better at the detail and, and kind of work at that? 
Yeah, that is something I've definitely had to do a lot more of becoming an A-level tech um, because I do a lot more warranty work. I'm not doing the wheel bearings and stuff that's easy to, that you really don't, there isn't a whole lot of diag to do that. Um, I've been actually starting to do a lot more electrical work. Good. So, I mean, that's, that's kind of where I'm at with everything. I mean, everything's electronic in all these vehicles now. I mean, there's no getting around it and it's only going to get worse. Because, I mean, most of these vehicles are upwards of 80 computers in them now. That's crazy. I mean, what was the one that I heard? There is 175, I believe, in a Maybach. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and I that's just start in, crying. Yeah. Um, I mean, <laughs> e- e- each one of these sensors now is becoming its own computer. Okay. Essentially. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, so it can help monitor everything on these vehicles. So, I mean, and, and, and that's where a lot of this is coming from is you're not really a, a tech anymore. You're a computer engineer on a lot of this. Yeah. Do you, do you think that might be a good thing, Josh? Uh, and when I say that, uh, you're obviously, you and I have talked about uh, some of the back issues that you have and maybe concerns. It, I think this came up in tech mission uh, about some of the concerns over uh, your just long-term health and being able to stay on the shop floor does the electric side or the electrical side kind of open some more opportunities to be able to stay in the shop longer? It does a little bit, but it actually make kind of makes you get into worse positions with well, your like, body. Yeah. So you're talking under a dash or something like yep. that. And, and that's where, I mean, a lot of everything is we're laying over a door sill and stuff like that. Because I mean, I've got an under dash creeper. So okay. I mean, it helps. Well, hold on. What's it, what's an under dash creeper? This this sounds like something that's come along since I got out <laughs> I got out of a shop. So it's basically just a board that's got two leg that's got a leg on it, and you can it's adjustable in height. So I mean, you can lay it on a door sill. Oh, so really? You can lay flat and not have to be curled over a door sill, laying on the floor of the car, but still have your feet on the floor. That's a good idea. I did not know that was a thing. Yeah, I actually, I actually bought mine four four, four years ago, really? and I really didn't use it until I got to where I'm at now at the dealership I'm at now. Yeah. So I mean, it it sat on top of my toolbox, and it's all like, okay. I I was being kind of stupid and not <laughs> not taking into account I'm wrecking my body doing this. Yeah. So I mean that and that and that I think that's a lot of techs is we need to kind of take better care of ourselves. I mean for so. sure. Do you see and this is a little off topic but that do you see that trending the right way. I, and the, the reason I say that is I, I think it has, I don't think it's the same way as it was 20 years ago where, you know, I, I, I always remember a, a dealership that, uh, the, one of the guys that uh, he actually owned the dealership is uh, on the Bobcat side, but he talked about how he would, he used to just grab like 350 small blocks, like with his hands and like, just 
like instead of getting a cherry picker, would just lug them around. And I'm like, that cannot be good for your body. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I mean, I'm definitely seeing a lot more guys using tools because it, it helps longevity of yourself, but just the way everything is puzzled into a car now, you have to do it that way. Otherwise right. you, you're going to break a lot of stuff. Well, hopefully, hopefully we're able to get that message across to some of the younger people coming in the industry too, that, you know, it's not, you don't have to be, you know, the tough guy anymore. You can, you can uh, do it the smart way and, and uh, hopefully your body holds together more as a result. Right. And hopefully you don't have some of those back and knee and hand issues. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, that, that's another thing that I, actually just recently bought was an was a kneeling pad yeah um so i mean because i got a i got a messed up knee and i mean i i haven't always taken the best care of myself and i've been getting better now that i've been getting older so i mean funny how that works (laughs) yeah (laughs) i know right So Work smarter, not harder is the way I always look at it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was the same way as you. I did not look at it that way when I was younger though. And, uh, there's, uh, as I get older, those aches and pains you start to feel, you're like, yeah, I, I get it now. I get, I get why people say that. Yeah, exactly. I, I've definitely been feeling it, especially chasing around my two kids. So that's, <laughs> <laughs> they, they keep me on my toes though. They do that. That keeps you young. So I want to go back to the pay side and and really how how you see it. And and granted, you've you've had a lot of experience in different shops. Do you see a preference of pay? I, I know this kind of came up in Tech Mission uh, before, where we talked about flat rate versus hourly. That's always a really really hot topic. Uh, but you you elected uh, to say hourly during tech mission. Is that is there anything against uh, flat rate? You know, say if say if flat rate had really really fair warranty rates, uh, or that their their baseline was really fair warranty rates, would it be a good program? It, for the most part, yes. But I mean, like your more skilled guys, your your A level techs and stuff like that they're getting most of the problem children. Mm. I mean, in, in, I mean, that's pretty much any shop because they've got experience. They've probably seen it before. Those guys aren't going to be making flat rate hours because they're diagging everything. So, I mean, there's gotta be, some give give and take in there. So do you think, do you think flat rate punishes like a diagnostic techs? Yeah, I, I really do. It's, and it rewards B techs like that are really good at, at uh, uh, that R and R piece. Yep. Yeah. I mean like your break jobs. I mean, at one of my shops, the, one of my guys was always, I'm the stupidest guy in the shop. And he was actually the guy diagging and fixing a lot of problem children. Mm. and he's like i wish i was the dumbest guy in the shop because they actually make more money than me Mm. because i mean your your c your c and b level techs are the younger guys that push and just hammer out cars right your your a level guys don't want i mean 
there are some that want to do it, but there's other, the A-level guys don't want to sit and bust through cars like that as much as when they were younger. I mean, that's the one thing I have noticed. Well, it's a different mentality too, right? Like you, you go from a B-level tech that is just, just a crazy good producer. Uh, and I've seen, I mean, some, some of those B level techs out there are extremely talented and, and just and organized and they, they truly have a craft. And the same is said for diagnostic people where I think there's a, maybe a little bit of a fundamental difference is that that B level tech you're, you're focused on go, 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 go. Uh, if you're an A level tech, it takes some critical thinking. It takes some, you know, really thinking through a problem and looking at a schematic and being able to see, you know, where should I get power? Where, where, you know, where am I supposed to have ground? And is that ground common with all of this other stuff? You know, I, I, I think it's just, there's, there's almost two different types of mentalities altogether, isn't there? Oh yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, and I mean, to go back to that, that Jeep that I was working on, the codes it was giving me and stuff were pointing at the rear differential. Mm. It actually ended up being a wiring harness on the front differential. Like, a, was it a ground or something? Yeah, it was actually um, a shielded ground. It was mm. just tied in next to the wires in case the wires broke, so it would ground out the circuit. Yeah. So, and it, we kept checking everything in the rear. I ran brand new wires all the way from the PCM all the way to the rear differential and come to find out it was this front wiring harness on the front, uh, front differential. So, I mean, and that, that's where, I mean, that's where your mentality come in because if you got that B level tech, that's trying to take care of that, he's trying to rush through it so he can get to another job. Right. And he's not putting, his whole effort into it and trying to figure it out and make it right the first time for the customer. Yeah. And I, I think you're spot on. And I, I really truly think when you, when you get the stress of having to work to flat rate as a diagnostic person, it, it can be really, really frustrating, which is a shame because you're, you're essentially punishing the best that we have uh, by doing that. And, and that's where, you know, I think there's a lot of A-level techs that do a good job and and are able to make uh, their flat rate times, or uh, if it's a dealership or independent, whatever it is, that they they really look at it from the standpoint of how do I take care of that person, whether it's you know putting them on a salary plan or an hourly plan plus incentives, you know that kind of stuff, so that you take care of that person uh, rather than kind of driving them out. Yeah, I mean, and I and I've worked both both sides i i've been hourly and i've been i mean it's a hybrid flat rate yeah i mean it it, so to call it at both dealerships that i've been at i mean you get paid x amount no matter what you got a base pay yep but then you get bumped up after you hit 40 hours so once you you once you book yeah once you book the 40 hours then you have like your 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 hourly salary then goes up or how yep. did that work? Yeah. Yeah. Th- yeah. Then your hourly salary goes up. So, I mean, say, say your base rate is 20 bucks an hour. Yeah. And so if you hit 40, you hit, you get 25 bucks an hour for all those hours that you book out. See, I like that system. Do you? 
I, it, it it's hit and miss. I mean, I mean, being up here in the north, everything kind of slows. I mean, I I don't know about the rest of the um, the states and stuff like that, but I mean, up here it slows down right before Thanksgiving, right, and it stays kind of slow till after Christmas. Yep, picks up a little bit, and then once tax season hits, it takes off like gangbusters, <laughs> <laughs> and then. All summer long, it's kind of sporadic because, I mean, everybody going to the cabin and stuff like that. Yeah, it it's similar. I mean, in Wisconsin, as well as Minnesota and North Dakota, South Dakota, you throw hunting seasons in there, too. And, yep. and you know, you've got just a whole bunch of variables at the tail end of the year. And I think that you're not alone in that regard. I, I think it's it's pretty common all over the place to to maybe slow down there. And, and truthfully, I think budgets tighten up around Christmas because you're buying Christmas presents and all that stuff. Yeah, um, exactly. So that's, so I mean, yeah, I, the one thing I like about that pay plan, Josh, is that you have, you have the floor, right? You have the, you, you you're not going to go underneath that. Like in this example, where you use the $20 per hour, you're not going to go below that. So you know that you can count on that to cover your bills. That's the one, I, I guess, if I were to say that out of, and this is just my preference in maybe even as a manager uh, and a tech, and I kind of look at it from both ends, that that to me is the safest uh, while also giving me upside, uh, you know, from a technician's perspective. Is that, I mean, w- what would you rather have? Obviously, we'd all rather have a hundred bucks hourly because then you know <laughs> what, what you're Yeah, at. exactly. But, yeah. Um, but like, what, what do you prefer? I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm torn. I mean, that's, I mean, it's nice knowing I have that base. I mean, that, I mean, there's no way I would take a job that was straight commission. Right. Absolutely none. Because that is literally telling me you don't want to take care of us. I mean, that, that, that's just my opinion. Well, I think that's, that's true with other techs too, though. I, you know, I, I really think when, when a shop and you're starting to see shops, dealerships, independents, whoever it is, start to wisen up to that because now they've got, you know, 40 hour guarantees or, you know, whatever it is that even if you don't book that many hours that you're still going to get paid. Uh, there are still some out there that, that don't have that. And they're, you know, you're kind of at your own risk. And that's where from a technician standpoint, I would be a little scared because, if, if you're counting on a service manager or service writer to bring in business, th- there's stuff out of your control that, that really you're not sure if that impacts your daily output, uh, that can be really, really frustrating though. No? Yeah. I mean, and that, and that's the other thing is, I mean, if you're not having enough service writers in or mm-hmm. you're only booked out a few days, that's where, I mean, having that guarantee helps. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, at my dealership, we're kind of starting to, we're, we've been slowing down a little bit okay. here lately, but I mean, it's, it's that time of the year where it's kind of hit and miss. Everybody's feeling the pains of going back to school and there it's kind of catching up with them now. Right. And now we'll, we'll probably pick up a little bit here in November just a little bit, but then it's going to slow down with everybody starting to buy Christmas presents and stuff like that. And I mean, maybe as everything 
is opening up now with everybody traveling. So, I mean, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how everything goes. How, how do you know what work, like how far out you are, uh, like how far booked, you know, how far, like if you come in today is a Monday and you want to know, am I going to have work for the entire week? How, how do you, how do you go about that kind of in your mind? Um, I mean, if I know there, I, if I know there's not going to be as much work coming in, um, I mean, our service manager kind of talks to us, lets us know a little bit how the schedule is and stuff like that. I, if I know we're going to be kind of getting low on work, I will probably spend an extra 10, 15 minutes on a vehicle and inspect it. I mean, I, I go, I'm very thorough on all my inspections, but yeah. I'll go even that extra more mile to give them preventive maintenance and stuff like that. I mean, right. beyond what we would normally recommend going, Hey, just so this is on your radar so you can start planning for it. Right. Cause I know a lot of people up here in Minnesota like to get stuff planned out ahead of time because they tend to forget about stuff. Right. So, I mean, and then at least it's on a previous work order that it was that this stuff was recommended well then it, if they come in again for just say an oil change it can get brought up to them again just so it's kind of on their radar and stuff like that so out of that what is is are things like the the front office uh performance indicators like uh average repair order uh, is that stuff communicated to you guys or is it primarily just like efficiency type stuff? It's, I mean, every now and then they'll give us like kind of some of our average repair orders and stuff like that. And just kind of what hours we're selling and stuff like that. I mean, I get, we get a daily report from my manager. or I get a daily report from my manager on how many hours I did the day before. Oh, and okay. stuff like that, just so we can kind of keep track of it and stuff like that. Does that impact? So this is just kind of a loaded question, right? Does that impact how you work? So say if you're getting to the end of a pay period and you know you've got to book more hours, does that impact? And I don't want to say how hard you work, but like maybe how focused you are. I mean, yes and no. I mean, yes, it sometimes discourages me if I'm not close. Oh, got it. Um, so, I mean, it, that's, that's that double-edged sword is, okay, so how much do you actually want to show the guys and how much don't you want to show them? Hmm. I mean, all of us are very conscientious of what our hours are. I mean, I know I keep track of my hours pretty pretty regularly. Yeah. And I know what I'm getting on jobs. And if it's a warranty job, I can't in our system, can't look up what all the warranty times are. Hmm. So I go up to my advisors and I get them to run the labor codes so I can know ahead of time. Okay. So what do I have to have this job done in? Right. So, I mean, so I know most of the time ahead of time on what I need to beat. So 
this this is kind of an interesting conversation because it it really brings back some of the stuff some of the content that we've done in the past and what i'm wondering is say if you go up front and they give you you know that seven hours to do that engine job and it takes you 16 what are you doing to notify the factory that it took you that long Uh, is there a do you have like a form you have to fill out saying, you know, like a, uh, not a complaint, but a uh, kind of something to notify the factory or are they just paying the seven hours and, and nothing else is brought up again? So I, I actually haven't had to go through that process yet, but they do have a, what's called a time study. Yes. And so I don't know what's all entailed with it. Cause I haven't ran into any of those problems that I've, I mean, I've ran into one or two jobs that it's taken me just a little bit longer than what the warranty time was, but it's not astronomical, but it was also my first time doing it. The first time doing them is always going to take you longer. So going back to that engine swap, would you then like, is that one like looking back that you'd want to put some of that time study information in just to to kind of definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Because I mean, it was a complete catastrophic failure on that engine. Mm. It quit oiling on the crankshaft in four of the cylinders. Hey. So it grenaded through the side of the block. Yikes. So, I mean, that was a complete rip it out, put a new one in. Yeah. So, I mean, um, there wasn't a whole lot of diag involved in that one. So I mean, <laughs> when there's a big <laughs> hole in the side, you know, uh, yeah. something didn't go right. Yeah. Well, I mean, in the, I mean, going back to like some of the questions that the aftermarket warranty company was asking was like, well, what was the failure? Hmm. I can't tell because it literally blew up on itself. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it, it had, two softball size holes in the side of the block and two golf ball size holes. Wow. So, I mean, it, it, um, it shattered. It blowed up. Yeah. It, I mean, it, (laughs) there was no connecting rods left on the crank. Um, two piston heads were gone. I mean, it's all like, I can't tell (laughs) you. I literally cannot tell you what happened. So was that, so when you say the aftermarket, so was that like an aftermarket, like a reman engine or something? Uh, no, it was a third party warranty from another car dealership that had gotten sold. Uh. Um, I mean, they covered it, but aftermarket, like the third party warranty companies have to pay customer time. They don't get to pay just warranty time. Got it. Got it. So, I mean, most of the warranty time just has to deal with manufacturers or if a part fails and you got to redo it. So what's the worst one from a manufacturer standpoint that you've run across, like where you've just got your butt kicked on it? So actually, I, I really haven't, but I had one other tech. He had a 6.7 power stroke mm-hmm. and it was a complete engine failure. Well, he was, it was already okayed by the customer. It was a 23 hour job mm. because it was a cab off. Yeah. You got to pull the whole cab off those things. Yep. Well, it turned out to be warranty time. It, it ended up under powertrain warranty and his time got cut down to 14 hours. 
Mm. So it's all like for your last nine hours on it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, how, how do you justify a nine hour difference? I mean, that's, that's kind of some of the things of, okay, why? Well, and that's right there is kind of where I think just more communication would help us out a lot, right? Where, yeah, you know, whether it's pulling a rep in at that point or pulling, you know, and saying, okay, not just from my experience as a rep, that was normally just an argument, right? Like you'd go into a dealership and they would say, well, why in the heck didn't you guys pay this? Blah, blah, blah. You know, they'd go crazy. And right there is where I, I see it from the standpoint of we should really sit down and have good conversations about this and figure out, you know, okay, if, if it wasn't, if the timing wasn't right, how do we get this back? So it's not just a piece of data that is in a whole bunch of other data and gets hidden, but really gets directly back to uh, an engineer or gets back to the person doing the time study and, and really kind of explains it because I think what happens, and this is just my, my opinion, but I think a lot of what happens is you'll have somebody at the factory that's looking through data and they might not see an issue because on that, that power stroke job, they paid the 14 hours and didn't hear anything different that, you know, it, it was fine. There was no, you know, no time study paperwork put in, there was nothing. So they look at it from the standpoint of here's all this data. This is what, you know, what we see and there's not a conversation past that, right? And really the only time that a, a true conversation happens is when a dealership is arguing over money with a manufacturer. And so that's to me where the more we could, and, and for those reps that listen to this, I think that's a, a really key point as well is, is don't just get defensive right off the bat. I was guilty of that too. But sit down and really talk through with a tech, maybe, you know, why did it take so long? Was it, you know, was it a broken bolt that was the kind of the exception to the rule? Uh, or is it truly this just takes a long time and then learn that? Because I think that that helps you articulate it back to the factory and hopefully helps kind of push some of the stuff in the right direction. So th- does that make sense, Josh? What, what I was yeah, I, I, I mean, yeah, it does. And I mean, and if they're doing these time, I mean, and I, I've heard that they do the time studies that they set up a whole vehicle and they have all the tools laid out and stuff in a room and they, they have all the special tools laid out right off the bat. Well, not all of us have that much room to lay everything out and know what each size of every bolt is that's on that engine. Yeah. I mean, I, it, I agree. That's kind that's kind of on us as techs that, yeah, okay, we should, if we have our stuff organized, it should be fine. Well, you got to think of getting off the uh, top of the engine, going to your toolbox, grabbing stuff and everything like that, that everything's not a perfect world. I mean, and yeah. that's, and I mean, that's one of the scenarios that was put to me by one of our reps and it's a like, well, that's not right. Yeah. And that's where you want the reps to really dive into that. Right. Like to me, that's where we miss so much is that we don't have that honest conversation and take money out of the equation. Right. Just look at the hours and if the hours are drastically different, you know, what, what happened? Is it a less qualified tech? Is it a really good tech that, that really, you know, just got 
their butt kicked or is it truly a like this is a uh, this is an issue this is this is something that's just not realistic and and then have you know the the fortitude to be able to go back to the factory and and kind of back it up a little bit you know that's that's what a lot of the dealerships need and anybody that deals with warranty i think is is uh craving that piece of it so um that's interesting josh that's that's some yeah, good stuff I mean, it, and, and i mean yeah it, it's i've i mean I, I i would love to sit and talk with some of the reps um i mean especially i i would love to pick squire's brain honestly he's great like he's he's an open book too i i, I would i would highly recommend you reach out to him because he uh, he does such a good job of explaining the the process that they use, right? And maybe not everybody uses that process, but it it does give you a different view or a different perspective on it. That I and he does it so, he does it so well that you know it, it makes it really easy to understand. Well, I mean him him and I are technically the same brand. I mean, <laughs> oh yeah, that's and, true, isn't it? I, I didn't even think yeah. about that. Yeah. So I mean, and and that's why I found it so interesting to listen to the, his podcast and i mean yeah. i've i've listened to all those podcasts i mean and the and the biggest thing for me too is with the diag time jay is that um our advisors got to learn how to sell sell it better right um i mean there's only so much we can do to try to explain it to them to for selling it one of the other techs I used to work with, he used to work at Volkswagen. Hmm. Well, I guess the system they have in place over in Germany for Volkswagen is in order to be a service advisor, you've had, you had to be a technician. Like I, you had to work your way up through being a technician, shop foreman and all that before you could be a service advisor. I've heard that from somebody else before. I, I think that's a great approach. I mean, I, I, I mean, it, not every tech can be a service advisor because they are not a uh, people person. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I've played service advisor, parts person, and everything when I was at the private shop. So, I mean, I ordered my own parts. I talked to the customer myself. I checked them in myself, and I've done that whole gamut. Well, we, uh, it's funny that you say that because we just did a Wrenchway Insiders poll on the, uh, on, on, uh, how we sell time, right. And how we sell diagnostic time. And, and I, I point back to this quite a bit because it, it's just such a good way, but we did a, a Wrenchway weekly show and had David Rogers on. And what David talked about is the need to get past the point to where, when we're trying to sell maybe diag time to a customer, we, we do such a poor job at just saying, Hey, let's plug in this computer and it'll tell us what, what, it, what's wrong with it, where that's not the case at all. It takes a smart person to read the data that that computer is giving you. And, and uh, a lot of times the worst thing, and this is per David, and, and I would encourage anybody to go watch that Wrenchway weekly episode with him. Cause it was great where he talks about anytime a, a service advisor says, uh, you know, yeah, just bring it in. We'll uh, plug it in and see what's wrong with it. You're, you're doing a disservice to the techs. And it, I, that hit me like a ton of bricks when he said that, because it is so true. Uh, the, the, and, 
the more we yeah. Point, yeah point the the star on the the diagnostic software the the more we take away from the tech and i don't think that's right no and and i've actually caught our advisors saying that um at several places i've been at yeah i'm all like you guys have to stop saying that because you're literally shooting us in the foot before <laughs> the customer even gets us gets here yeah. because you're, I mean, it, it's like a one-legged man in a butt kicking contest. I mean, <laughs> I mean, whichever analogy you want to use on that, I mean, you're literally handicapping us right off the bat. I yeah. mean, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. I mean, it i think that it could hurts us. it it does and i think that might be one of the number one factors that we need to work on as an industry is is how clean we sell diagnostic time how you know i think a lot of our issues when we talk about pay come back to diagnostic time uh it's not necessarily what you're getting paid per hour or even really the flat rate system in general it's the result of diagnostic time in the flat rate system, right? Or the, you know, maybe the, uh, when we talk flat rate, if, if you don't have a guarantee, there's some, there's a lot of risk on the technician. So I, I think all of that kind of comes from diagnostic time and, and how you build diagnostic time, because regardless of what, what a customer sees, somebody's paying for that diagnostic time, right? It's either the tech, it's the shop, or it's the customer and, or if it's under warranty, the, the manufacturer, but somebody's paying for that diagnostic time. And the more we can get our hands around that and understand that the more some of this other stuff starts to come together. And I, I think, uh, does that, does that make sense, Josh? Yeah, it really does. And I mean, one other thing I wish some advisors would go spend some time in the shop. Yes. And quit trying to act like salesmen. Yeah. And it's, it's tough because they're hired as salespeople, right? Like that's, yeah, and that's the, the big disconnect, I think, between the shop and the front of the house. Honestly, I agree. I agree. And for those, those shop owners out there that are listening to this, that is imperative. If that's part of your onboarding process for bringing on a new advisor, whatever it is, the more time they can spend in a shop up front and get to know the, the, the people that are actually working on the cars or the equipment, whatever it is, the better that relationship is going to be, the better that communication is going to be. And I think too often we just bring somebody in and throw them at the counter and, and uh, tell them to get to work because we need them. So that, that's a, that's a great point, Josh. Yeah. So, I mean, and that, that would be my biggest tip to anybody is, I mean, try to learn everybody's job. I mean, understand what everybody's going through. I mean, I know a lot of techs like to blame the parts guys for not ordering the right parts and it, and the blame game starts going around on a lot of things. Yeah. So, I mean, and that's, that's where some of the distrust comes from. Right. And, and yep. a lot of what we talk about and we talked about in tech mission is the distrust and kind of how we got to close the gap. So uh, Josh, I will say we are up on our time, which is crazy. This went really, really fast. I, uh, <laughs> it always does. It does. It does. And I, I, I love getting techs on here because uh, you know we really want to hear the voice of tech, and we want we want to be able to kind of put the opinions of technicians out in the in the light and be able to really talk about it in in a way that. 
the tech doesn't feel intimidated and that we can really kind of hopefully drive some progress. So hopefully we're doing that, Josh. Oh yeah, I hope so too. Well, good deal. Uh, well, thank you for coming on the show, Josh. It was uh, it was a pleasure to have you on and a pleasure to talk to you as always. And, and uh, thank you uh, for joining Beyond the Wrench. All right. Thanks, Jay. Thanks, Jay.